You wanted to see me, Miss Swinton? Have you been hearing about the new government modernization efforts? AI, RPAs, data science. Things are changing at this agency, and people will need new skills. Oh. I'd like you to get some training. Huh. Look at this management concepts catalog. Wow, over 275 courses. That's right, in local classrooms or instructor-led online classes. We still have budget in this fiscal year, so sign up online. Advance your career with courses from Management Concepts. Get a catalog at managementconcepts.com or call 833-578-8466. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners, so please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of the Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my but I'm walking with the day. In June 2016, a young mother seemingly disappeared into thin air. Four and a half years later, her family is still searching and have more questions than answers. What happened? Did someone hurt her? If so, who? And most importantly, where is she now? This is the disappearance of Jesse Grace Moore. Jesse Grace Moore, whose legal name is Jesse Rubio Montejano, was last seen on June 20th, 2016 in the vicinity of South Wenatchee Avenue and Ferry Street in Wenatchee, Washington at approximately 6.30 p.m. According to the Charlie Project, a witness who has since recanted the statement reportedly saw a woman who resembled Jesse get into a dark-colored car described as a 1980s Buick with a Hispanic man. She has never been seen or heard from again. Her cell phone records stop abruptly. There's no evidence of its use. Her once active online profiles remain frozen in time, days before her disappearance, and her wallet was found and mailed to her mother's home by someone. Prior to her disappearance, Jessie was in a rough place in her life. She'd experienced occasional homelessness and used drugs. However, she kept in regular contact with her family, specifically her mother. For this reason, the abrupt end to her communication with the family is uncharacteristic. And unlike our typical episodes, we're asking you, our listeners, to be the boots on the ground and help the family spread awareness about the case. Paige and I will be discussing the disappearance with Jessie's sister, Brittany, for the most up-to-date information. That's right. Let's dive in. And I want to give a huge welcome and humongous thank you with every ounce of grace in my body to Miss Brittany Moore, Jesse's sister. Thank you so much for being here today. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, you guys. I just want to say on behalf of my family and I, it means so much to us that you guys reached out and wanted to help share Jesse's story. Of course. I mean, what good is it having a podcast if we can't attempt to help those whose stories still don't have any resolution? Yeah, you said it, sister. Like, it's amazing you guys do that. It really, it, like, it humbles me and makes, like, just warms my heart that so many people care not only about my sister's case, but other true crime cases and use their platform to help spread awareness. Absolutely. It's, you know what, 
I'll say this. You've already done such a great job. And really, you could just tell in all of your YouTube videos, which, you know, any listeners like definitely go check out Brittany's YouTube channel because she has quite a few videos um, kind of talking about the story and doing the best she can to get it out there, um, as well as you've been on, um, you know, there's articles and videos out there on other websites and news channels. So you've already been doing such a great job and we're just honored to be part of that process for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, ladies. It's been, um, my family and I were just not the kind of people that are going to sit idly by and wait for answers to come. We're going to go seek out whatever we can follow every lead. And we, actually just went on the Dr. Phil show as well. Um, that was a big step for us uh, in, you know, finding answers. So yeah, just trying to take it one step at a time, do what we can. That is huge. I actually did see the the Dr. Phil clips and it is a really big step because what a platform he has to be able to share your sister's story. And it, it was a really, I don't want to get too far off topic, but it was so cool to see the lengths that a mother, your mom, has taken yes. to find your sister. You know, it's just a testament to a mother's love and a, a sister's love. Yes, you said it. You hit the nail right on the head with that. Um, they kind of did twist it a little bit and kind of made it a negative thing almost, which uh, I didn't appreciate. But, you know, it was that's not what it was about. It was about getting her story out there. And like you said, how far would a mother go to find their missing child? That was the principle of the episode. And I've actually watched a number of your YouTube videos on your sister's case, and you start each one with a shout out to your sister, Jessie. Do, do you want to say anything to Jessie now? Yeah, you know, I'm a very spiritual person, and she is always with me. Like, I never am without her. And even before recording this podcast, you know, you have the nerves, you're mm-hmm. little little nervous. And I just ask her to come, just come be with me and give me strength. And, um, I, you know, I have reason, my own reason to believe that my sister has passed away. Mm-hmm. And many of the leads that we've received are that she was murdered, you know, so I just want her to know if I could say anything to her that we're going to find answers and we're going to find justice. And even if we don't, her, her story will live on through me. That's beautiful. And that's really powerful, you know, because it's a worst case scenario, right? It's something you never expect to happen in your life or even think could 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 be something that happens in your life. A, a loved one, a sister, a mother, a whoever in your life going going missing, especially when they may have been in a more turbulent time in their life. And yes. tapping into that spirituality has got to be something that I, I hope is is carrying through for you. But it was such a powerful piece that you just shared, you know, like I have my own reasons of of why I do believe that she's passed on. I mean, how does one even process something like that? Yeah, you know, um, Jesse had gone missing and obviously it was catastrophic to everything. It was earth shattering to my family and I, and I wasn't dreaming about her a lot. And I had this one specific dream. Um, it, it had to have been like a couple months after she went missing. And we were at an airport 
and it's all white and cloudy, like maybe symbolizing heaven or what, you know, you believe to be heaven or whatever. But Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. And I'm like going up an escalator, right? And it's all cloudy and like, just like a very like serene feeling. And she's at the top of this escalator. She embraces me and she said, you have to let me go. You have to move on. And I said, no, like, I can't, I can't move on. Like, I can't do this without you, you know? And she's like, you have to. And I remember, you know, in my heart, I was like, that was her. Like, that was her speaking to me. And I went to my mom and told her what I had experienced. And she looked like, I'll never forget it. She looked at me and she said, no shit. Like, I had a dream that was almost identical to that. Okay, I have literal chills. Yeah. Me too. Oh, wow. That is, I mean, it's beautiful. It's 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 sad. And it's just so poignant. And it's, it's interesting. Um, and this is not to trivialize losing a sister, but just to connect on this dream thing with you and, and share that I too have experienced something like that with a pet a dog of mm. mine that has passed on and I get scared to share this experience with people but here I am on this podcast and I, and you're sharing so much with us today I want to share it with you I waited so long to tell my sister about my experience of this dream with my dog and she looked at me with the most intense look I've ever seen her give me And she said, I have the same exact dream. And I said, okay, what was the dog's voice like, though? Because I could never describe the dog's voice, but it was very specific. And I knew if she could put a word to it, that would prove to me that this was some a a really big spiritual event that took place. And she described it perfectly. And so we had had the same dream, too. So there's something to that, like this this whole spiritual dream side of things, there's something to it. I'm not going to say like, oh, yes, you know, Brittany, this must mean that this is what's going on with your sister. I would never do that. But I just wanted to share that with you because it's such an intense experience when you when you have it happen, you know, and I haven't had anything like that really since. Yeah, no, that's so beautiful and warms my heart that you shared that with me because it is like your, especially your animals, like those are your children. Like I believe in that a hundred percent and uh, they are so connected to you, whether it's, you know, someone you were close, like a human you were close to, a pet you were close to. Yeah. And they know that how bad you're hurting. And I think they, they come to say, be at peace. Right. It's okay. You're going to be okay. Like I'm in a better place. And I, I truly believe that was her. And I, I really haven't dreamt of her since. Yeah. And, and, and I'm wondering, you know, how that feels, you know, for someone who lost a loved one and like going through, like, are you just like dying for her to come and give you answers? Like, where are you with that today? Like, is there a piece in after that dream? Or are you just like, please come see me every freaking night? You know, like, how can we explain that experience? 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash trial. No, I don't say like, come to me and tell me because 
I don't know. I just feel like I've, I've done a lot of work on myself and tried to find a lot of healing in this. And mm-hmm. I've realized you can't make sense of it. How could you make sense of something like this? And that's, that's a part of it. And anyone who has a missing loved one understands that you got to take the sense part out of it because it's not going to make sense. And that's probably where your work into finding answers for your sister and other missing individuals comes into play. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're, you can't make sense of it, but you're going to do your best possible um, ability to get it done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if anyone who has been through something that my family has been through and they watch my videos and if they could feel understood for one second, then I've like done my work. Because you guys don't even know how many people have messaged me saying, my best friend went missing, my sister went missing, my brother was murdered, and I watched your channel and I felt, I felt connected to that for for a minute and this it's so isolating to go through something like this and so if mm-hmm. people can see that and you know feel my authenticity with it and if I could help anyone in any way um then I, you know I'm doing I'm doing my work and uh Jesse would be proud I love that definitely and and I mean we know it clearly works this reaching out to social media spreading awareness mm-hmm. through that I mean look at Alyssa Turney's case yeah, her sister Sarah that. Turney has essentially had an arrest in mm-hmm. her sister's uh, disappearance slash murder, and um, they're going to trial next month. So you know things happen, and it may take time, but all the work you're doing is worthwhile. And like you said, if one person benefits from it, it's worth the time. Yep. Exactly. And I really look up to her. <laughs> now, you've described Jesse as someone who would just give you the sure off their back, but also a complex individual, which, you know, really we all are. And and that there, there were, you know, different um, issues, which, you know, however you and your family or anybody else may have labeled them. Whether it's, uh, you know, behavioral issue or um, mental health or anything like that, you know, and I I would love for you to let us know the best way to describe that. So would you be able to elaborate a little bit on what that means? Yeah. So growing up with her, she's my only sibling, my only blood sibling. And, you know, we had a pretty normal childhood altogether. And she was a very vivacious person, very loving, very caring. Um, Just, she was just funny. Like she was goofy. That's a good way to describe her. But when she was about five, she was diagnosed with, um, well, she was diagnosed with a bunch of stuff throughout her life, but pretty much summing it up, she had borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder. So those are very, um, those are very, very hard things to live with. Very hard things to live with. And then when Jessie, uh, she faced a lot of trauma in her life. She was sexually abused um, when she was in fifth grade. And that was really hard on our family. And a lot of people give me shit for talking about that. But I feel like trauma is nothing to be ashamed of. And it helps explain why Jessie went down the road she went down. So she had, absolutely, yeah, she dealt with that trauma. It was, it was so hard on all of us, you know, and then 
when Jessie had her second child, her daughter was born and lived for a minute, and then she died. So Jessie was dealing with a lot of stuff, and on top of her, you know, mental health issues, behavioral issues, and then she started getting into drugs. So it was the last year was really, really bad, you guys. She was she was on the fringes of insanity. And I don't mean that lightly. Mm-hmm. It got so bad because she was living with my mom at the time uh, or was living with my mom, but my mom was raising her son. And my mom said, I can't have you here. Like, this is too hard on me. Like, I'm trying to deal with your son. I'm dealing with, you know, all, you and all of your issues. And that's when my mom said, you can't stay here anymore. And my mom, you know, essentially had to kick her out. And that's been the hardest part on my mom is living with that guilt because Jesse would was homeless when she went missing. Um, and that's, it's, you have to face that. That's not something that I don't know if I can, we can ever forgive ourselves for that. Um, but she, so, so a week leading up to her disappearance, like she would call my dad and say, I'm pregnant with kittens. And my dad's like, you know, what the hell are you talking about? You're pregnant with kittens, Jesse. Like you need help you know? Right. And so it was, it was just this back and forth all the time. And my parents, as many parents wouldn't know what to do. Wow. Yeah. It does sound like there was some form of a psychotic break Mm -hmm. kind of building up and a mania. Yeah. Right. Mania mixed with, you know, of course, you know, drug use is not going to aid that in an appropriate way. You know, and and it's so hard to hear, you know, a family, your family, thinking that, you know, pushing Jesse, you know, to um, not be at your mom's house anymore, to no longer live there. It, it's so hard to hear that that's like a piece of guilt because at the end of the day, your mom and your family had to make the best choices for what was healthiest for, for your nephew, for her son. You know, how do you have that in the house and, and for your mom to be the best that she can be for her son and for her son to have the best environment possible. So, and, and in asking her to leave that of course was never asking for what happened to her to happen, you know, it's so, it's so hard to hear that. So I, I encourage, you know, you and your family, just remember that of course you weren't asking for this to happen and never. Yeah. And I just want to add though, really quick, that didn't mean that we would never, we didn't all pitch in to take her to detox or take her here or take her there. Or like she could always go to my parents' house and get food and like crash there. But my parents were trying to set, set up healthy boundaries at that time. Yes. And you have to in order to, you know, live a healthy life for the son. Yeah. And I just want to tell you guys something really interesting because I know you guys are obviously into true crime. Please. But when I was a... When I was a little girl, I don't know how old I was. Maybe I was, maybe I was eight, 10. But my mom came home from the grocery store and said, I just had the strangest thing happen to me. I met a lady that her daughter was a victim of the Green River Killer. And I remember being like, what the hell? I'm like young. Like, why are you talking about this stuff? But she's like, she looked at me and she's like, is it, is it wrong? I'm just waiting for that call. 
on Jesse someday. Wow. That is so tragic that your mom, you know, had to experience that interaction and just knowing that, because I'm, I'm thinking back to your YouTube videos and how you said that like every little piece of Jesse's life kind of built up to where she ended up going. And so you said you're around like 10 at that point. Wasn't Jesse in um, juvenile detention around that time? So yeah. it must have been so troubling for your mom to think that was a possibility that could happen to your sister. Yeah. And Jesse was always in and out of like correctional facilities growing up and stuff. Like she was sent away for a while. Like I remember a big chunk of my life where she wasn't there. And um, there was a point in her life where she got a job and was doing so good. And it was beautiful to see that, that light shine from within her of, you know, make being a person who was self-sufficient, mm-hmm. but she just had, and I realize now she had just, cause I had a lot of resentment towards her growing up. But I realize now she had been through so much and uh, it's given me such a, I, I, I empathize so much more with people with mental health issues and with uh, people who are survivors of trauma. And um, sorry, I got off track there. But yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. That, And I, I'm really glad you brought up the moment in her timeline where she kind of had everything going great for her because I think that is really important. Yeah. You, you hear a lot of stories about people who have disappeared and all you hear are their traumas and negative aspects mm-hmm. of them. But like this was a really uplifting and positing moment in her life. And I give her so much credit to have the strength to pull herself up and get a job and, mm-hmm. um, work full time and be there for her kid. And it sucks that, you know, she had to meet certain people that took her down the wrong path again. Yeah, exactly. And I believe with everything in me that she could have turned it around, given the chance. Absolutely. Everybody always deserves, you know, a second, third, whatever chance, as long as they're showing that they're, they're trying Um, in my opinion. I agree. Oh, definitely. Can you go ahead and kind of transition us into June 20th and and what was going on that day for you and what may have been going on for her on that day? Yeah, of course. So so on June 20th, it's a fact that she had gone to Catholic Family Services in Wenatchee and talked to one of the counselors there, one of the therapists. I'm not quite sure what his title is. Okay. Uh, and the therapist was concerned. Uh, the gentleman was concerned and got a hold of my mom and said, you know, shit's wild. Like, she's really going through it. And my mom was under the impression that Jesse was going to be going, going to be in- institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's where my mom kind of stood on June 20th. So the series of events are so unfortunate. So my mom's, you know, my mom's working a full-time job, okay? Right. And dealing with all this stuff all the time. She's like, oh, God, like, okay, like, get her institutionalized. Like, that'll be good for her. She's going through all of this. Like, she needs help, you know? And we were, you know, my mom was fully prepared to take those steps. And at a certain point, her hands are tied. Your sister was a 23-year-old woman, and your mom 
did everything she knew how to do. But at a certain point, your sister had to get professional help. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people judge someone in, you know, my mom's shoes or something, but no one knows how that would be for 23 years. You're, you know, you've been trying to get your daughter help, you know, using up all your resources and to no avail. And so on the 20th, so my mom was under that impression. And then June, so I got to go forward a little. So June 27th rolls around. My mom hasn't heard from Jesse. She's, she's getting really concerned at this point. Why haven't I heard from her? What's going on? Like, you know, and in between the 20th and the 27th, my mom had received Jesse's wallet. Someone had mailed Jesse's wallet to my mom's address because Jesse's address was on the her ID. Oh, and if you're allowed to say, obviously, if you're not, uh, don't say anything. But did you ever find out who mailed it? So I, I can't say too much on that. Okay. Um, yeah. there, there could be something to that. And that's all I can say. Wow. I didn't mean to get you off track, but that I've been meaning to, I, I didn't see anything in the in the research I did, but I've been meaning to ask. Yeah, Natalie, you're a little investigator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm vicariously feeling violated mm-hmm. by what a, what a, like in, I guess maybe in hindsight, because I of course am aware now she is missing but like it's it's so it sounds like a movie like and here's the missing person's wallet it does oh uh-huh and um maybe someone sent that because out of guilt we don't know mm-hmm. we don't know why someone it was a woman though so we don't know why she sent that in but my mom's thinking at this point she gets into the mail between the 20th and the 27th. I don't know the exact date. And she's like, oh, God, Jessie's losing her wallet again. Oh. Like, what the hell's going on? You know, because she would lose her stuff all the time. Like, she was like a little pack rat. And then she'd lose stuff. Like, she had got her ID. I don't even know how many how many times she had lost it. So, my mom, I don't, my mom, the, the, the alarms aren't going off at this point. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, the 7th comes around. She doesn't hear from Jessie because... When you're institutionalized, there's a seven-day blackout period where I don't know if you cannot contact people, but it's recommended that you don't call people. And and so I don't know how all of that works exactly, but my mom was under the impression that that's what was happening because that's what she and that gentleman had talked about and all of that. So my mom starts digging around, right? And it comes up that there's a video from the day Jesse went missing. Yeah. Can you describe for our listeners any relevance or um like the the video may have on her disappearance like where did it come from what's she wearing what does that have to do with um leads possible leads that you get in the future yeah so um in the video the man taking it is no has a connection to jesse um it's kind of confusing but she has a son and her baby daddy is dating a lady and this guy is used to date this lady. Like, it's really confusing. I know that doesn't make much sense. But there's some twisty ties in this. It's connected. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's, so we, we get our hands on this video at a Centennial Park in Wenatchee. And to our absolute shock and horror, 
her head is shaved. And none of us saw her like that. None of us saw her with her head shaved. So we're like, what the fuck? What's what's going on here? And in the video, it's it's so hard to watch, you guys. It took me two years to watch it because he's making fun of her. He's belittling her. You can tell she's dealing with some serious uh, mental mental conflict mm. and he's calling her all kinds of names um it's abusive it is at the bare minimum he's being very verbally abusive towards your sister yes and i felt like that was the theme of how she was treated because of her mental health issues and she was not a perfect person at all but she did not no one deserves to be talked to like that degraded like it's horrible and then that's that's when we were like, oh my God, what's happening, you know? And in the video, you can, you know, he's rimming her, like just being a complete jerk to her for no one really knows why. And she's like fed up and starts walking away and she's walking down Wenatchee Avenue in the video. And um, that is the last time any camera ever caught my sister. I want to go back to what she's wearing in the video because I've seen reports where your mom has said that, the clothes she's wearing in the video aren't hers. And the shaved head part of the uh, of her appearance, it doesn't look like it. it's done to be stylish. It looks as mm-hmm. if someone did it to her. Yeah, um, most definitely. So the clothes she's wearing are not normal clothes she would wear. So it's almost as maybe, mm-hmm. and she's not wearing a bra, So it's almost Mm -hmm. as if she dressed in a hurry or someone had dressed her. She, Mm -hmm. her head is shaved and it's, it's no like Amber Rose shave. It's like a butcher shave. Like, and we, at first we're thinking to ourselves, why the hell would she do that to herself? Because me and my sister have always had short hair. Like we cannot grow our hair to save our lives. And (laughs) we like, it's the saddest thing. Like we're bald till we're like freaking four years old. And so our hair was almost sacred to us. And then it kind of, we started being like, someone shaved her head. And then we get all the still shots from, and it's pretty visible in the video, but then we get the still shots of the letters. You can clearly see SC. Mm-hmm. Some think it's SIC, some think it's STC. Um, or some people say they don't see anything, like they think it's just random. So you guys, the listeners will have to, you know, look into this and decide for themselves what they see. I I definitely saw some letters. Yeah. And so shaved them, into like, her head. Yes. I did not personally get to see these videos yet. Wow. I saw the still shots of the videos and I definitely was able to make out some lettering. Oh my and gosh. it looked as if someone was not very gentle as they did it mm-hmm. either. It, it looks very um, violent to me. Yes. And then on the other side are 13 lines shaped into her head. So automatically the gang signals are going off, you know, is this gang related or what the hell? And then she also had what looked to be cuts on her hand, on her hands. So that was interesting. Um, And she doesn't have anything. She's not carrying anything. And my sister always had a purse with her at the least or she's homeless. So she would have bags on her. Or something. So, it, you know, where where had she been? Where was she that day? Right. Before she went to Centennial Park. 
She's missing all her belongings. She's wearing unknown clothes. Her hair is gone. Mm-hmm. She looks as if she's been at least physically, she has physical injuries on her hands. Mm-hmm. It's startling. Yeah. And then you have this man who has questionable connection to her mm-hmm. berating her in the video. Yeah. And it makes me think of, there was a moment before her disappearance, before she went into the institution, where you said that she was found with Rufy in her system. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So that that actually ties into the shaved head. So she tested pot. She had gone to the hospital and she tested positive for Rufalin. And the nurse had pulled my mom aside and said, I, I think someone's drugging her. And my mom's like, you know, she's on drugs. And my they're like, no, I like I it was almost as if and I wasn't there for the conversation, so I can't say for sure. But it was almost like this nurse knew something more was going on. Mm. And so so as we're looking into this shaved head thing, you know, we're trying we're like, what is going on here? So we're looking into it. And that could mean so if it is gang related, it could mean someone did that to her to show ownership over her. Or it could mean to, if you're in that gang or whatever, and you see someone with those markings, to kill them. Do you think that your sister would be able to, in her mental state, would she be able to be a participant in a gang? Or do you think that she was merely a uh, casualty? I don't think she was like a gang member or anything like that. I think that's a really far reach. Um, I think someone... Could have been exploiting her. Got it. Now, when I hear 13 and I hear gang, what pops up to me is ties to Mexican mafia. The 13th letter of the alphabet is M, and it's often referred to as La M. So when I'm hearing 13 and gang, is that sort of something that, is that why that 13 sparked you know, that idea to you? Or is there a different connection to 13 and a gang when it comes to this case and for you and your family um, when you're looking at that 13? Yeah. Or the 13 marks. You know, we're not not really sure because now all the leads that we have lead us to believe it wasn't gang related. So it's like, and she could have very well done that to herself. Who knows? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it has no significance to us or maybe the people who did do something to Jesse wanted to throw people off because now we're like this is gang related like obviously the 13 lines the sc the whatever but if if she had been with someone who meant her ill intent that day why would they let her go that's a good point yeah so 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 we the fact is she had tested positive for rufalin and who knows that the stuff she was using it could be mixed it could be this or someone could be explo- could have been exploiting her in some way. And I think everyone can fill in the blank there. Right, exactly. And that is something that is so prevalent mm-hmm. in society today when we're talking about different types of trafficking, human trafficking, et cetera, and trying to get a hold on this. Sometimes, you know, you hear that it's more prevalent than we would even know. And then sometimes you hear, oh, there's like a lot of conspiracies out there about this. Be careful. Here's this truth, you know? So there's so much out there about it, but getting a grip on it in this country doesn't seem to be like something we can do when it comes to human trafficking. 
No, and it doesn't mean someone's tied up in chains being, you know, you know, sold, for lack of a better word, all over the country. It could be an addict yep. who goes and they said, okay, well, I'll give you this if you do this for me. That's that's human trafficking. That's, that's under that, that falls under that category. So it, I mean, at least I think it does, but it, it absolutely No, does. I've definitely been hearing more stories about uh, how they, they, prey on these people who are addicted to drugs because they're more easily Mm -hmm. malleable. You know, they're, they're more easily controlled. So scary and so heartbreaking to be thinking about, you know. So when Jesse initially went missing, my mom completely took on her case. Completely, you guys. Like, my mom's Mm -hmm. not the kind of person that would ever just let this go. Like, she she's such a vigilant person on anything, like just the smallest thing, like it's insane. So when Jesse went missing, my mom worked her case full time. Like my mom actually ended up being let go from her job because she couldn't not, she had to follow every lead. Mm -hmm. All these people were messaging her, you know, with tips or whatever, all these people involved in the world that Jesse was involved in. And so my mom, you know, a lot of people say so much stuff and try to take advantage of you and and this and that, but she really tried so hard to find answers and to find Jesse. And we've done many fundraisers and events and all of that stuff, uh, unfortunately to no avail. I know that you have, along with your mom, some theories of what may have happened to your sister do you feel like addressing any of those on the podcast today? Yeah, most definitely. So I think the most accepted theory among my family and I is she was killed. And we don't think it was premeditated. We think she knew something, she saw something, and someone killed her. So it... it you know, when anyone goes missing, especially a woman, your mind kind of goes into the trafficking thing, but which could be a possibility. Obviously, we're not ruling it out, but it seems unlikely from the information that my mom's gathered and police have gathered. Uh, bodies of water have been searched, one in particular, and that was the fall of 2016 that that was searched. We believe Jesse's life was taken. And then... My mom goes a different route, though, okay? She thinks Jesse could have possibly been killed by a cult. Because Jesse did go missing on a full moon. And my mom's obviously not here to say why she thinks these things. Right. And a, a lot of it is addressed in the Dr. Phil show. And okay. it's... Um, so, that, so my mom and I have, very, have different beliefs on what happened. Anything could be possible, obviously, because we don't know. But those are the most widely believed. Wow. And after the dream you've experienced and, of course, uh, investigating all the leads and stuff um, up until now, you do believe she's not with us. And that is definitely something that you both share. Yeah. And just the the horrific things people have messaged us, it's absolutely, like, it's disturbing. Like, a lot of people have said that there has been a video of her being shot in the head. Another person said they saw a video of her being tortured. 
Um, we've heard she was put in an oil drum. We heard she was buried and cement was put on top of her. And, you know, all those things in and of themselves are horrible to hear. But then you learn how, like, just evil people are and how they'll yep. say stuff yeah. just to be a part of the case for no reason. Like, people don't even, didn't even see, I mean, some of it could be true. I'm not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. But and these people believe in their heart that this is they saw this or they're just lying. I don't know. So but to be cruel for without cause mm-hmm. right, is shocking and um, so sociopathic. Yep. To me, I I'm sorry that you've had to experience encounters and um, interactions with people who have said those things to you because no one should ever have to go through what you and your family have gone through, let alone with that shit piled on top. That's horrible. I think it's so important in the true crime community um, that we talk about these things because what's existing beyond those that are missing or victimized or murdered is this family, much like you and your family, who go through these experiences like this. Um, false leads, false confessions, really weird people saying really messed up things for no good cause. And it's mind-blowing. And I just, like, I feel like it's not talked about enough. And I feel like people are so quick when they have someone like yourself gracious enough to go on a show or a podcast, etc., to only talk about the case and only talk about those things that have happened to their loved one, which is, of course, uber important to keep it alive and keep it going and keep awareness, et cetera. But like, we don't talk about these things that you guys are going through every single day for four years now, four and a half years now. It's insane. Yeah. I like love that you brought that up, Paige, because Jesse wasn't the only victim here. Brittany and her mom and her, the rest of her family are victims too. And I think that as members of the true crime community, we have to extend that empathy towards them as well and give them a safe place to be able to share these stories without coming under attack from trolls. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. To, to tell the story from their perspective, not always just what happened i mean and me maybe being a little nosy or self-indulgent i'm like kind of dying to know like do these people that say these weird things to you guys or um really just kind of give you information that leads to nowhere and it's just kind of cruel and damaging emotionally are they staying anonymous are are they putting their name to it are they calling you are they emailing like how are they getting a hold of you and how are they identifying themselves yeah, so they will. I mean, I, I've gotten so many messages just on you guys. Like, it's crazy. Like, just I have to I take I meditate and breathe and just like pray for patience because mm-hmm. I am just like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, I just had someone message me the other day and, and ask if I could give confidential information. Um, I've had psych- so many psychics get a hold of me um, just saying BS. Mm. I've had um, we had a false someone falsely say that they were holding jesse for ransom and wanted this much money wired to them and a lot of people do reveal themselves and some could some are could be credible and believe what they're saying but the 
what we've heard time and time again from the detective is people know, but they're scared because it's someone higher up. Like it's someone that you wouldn't want to, it would come back tenfold on them if they said anything. He's like, people know. It's just getting the leverage on someone to talk. And you just mentioned the police and the detective assigned to your sister's case. This is still considered an active investigation, right? Correct. Do you have, obviously you can't share too much because it's an ongoing investigation, but what's your guys' relationship with the police at this point? Because a lot of times we hear these stories of families who they just decide that they can't trust the police anymore. They're they're doing their own investigations. And Mm -hmm. I'm just curious what your experience has been. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So the there's been three detectives that her case has been handed to or passed down to or assigned to, whatever. And the first one was really helpful. He went to every event that we had. And, you know, he was the one who initiated getting that body of water searched. Um, and he cared, but unfortunately he had some uh, health issues, I believe. So he had to step down. And so the the second guy, oh my gosh, you guys. This guy is such a POS. I I couldn't believe, I could not believe what some things he had said to my mother. Uh, For instance, she had gone to him because she's investigating, keep in mind, and she's getting all these leads, all this information and trying to relay it for him so action can be taken. Right. Mm -hmm. And she's telling him, you know, I think um, Jesse was with this specific guy, like before her disappearance. And he looked at her and said, you know, I'd be hard pressed to find someone Jesse hadn't slept with. Oh my god! And my mom what was like, asshole. "Are you kidding me?" Like, I was like, "He did not say that." She's like, "He said that to me," and I'm just like, "That is the most disgusting thing I have ever heard a police officer say to a grieving mom." Like, I could not believe it, and I actually call him out in one of my videos. I'm like, "How dare you?" It doesn't matter if a woman sleeps with freaking 500 people she does not deserve for anything to happen to her much less be murdered right and and you know we we definitely had that energy from him like well she had it coming like it was her lifestyle and it's like what if that was your child yeah what if that was your child or what if it was a a you know a girl that or a woman that wasn't wasn't using drugs or you know, they they try so much harder for people. They investigate it so much more vigorously for people who don't, you know, live in that underbelly of the world or aren't a part of that part of the world. But he, yeah, and he actually ended up just getting suspended for something completely unrelated and not going to get into all that, but sure, he was just a real POS. And then the third detective, if you're listening, I love you. He has been like... You guys, it, it's been so reassuring how much he cares and how much he wants to see Jesse's case solved. He has followed every lead, and we know that because we give him information, and then the people he's getting information get a hold of us and tell us he drove there. Wow. I mean, he will drive just two, three hours to get information. He takes his this case seriously, and I appreciate hearing about the good ones that— value everyone's life versus just a certain type of person. Yeah. 
And he realizes the whole spectrum of it. Like, he'll talk to us. He has helped me with other things not pertaining to Jesse's case. And you can tell he just he just cares. Like, he is in the right line of work because in, – and he's been meeting with us pretty regularly just to go over everything, which makes us feel reassured. It makes us feel better. And the last time we had met up with him, my me Jesse and I are very close to our grandma, our nana, and she was voicing her concerns to him and saying, I, I feel like what if we what if we don't solve this? And he like slammed his hand down on the table and he's like, We have to. Like, like that's not an option for us not to solve this. Wow. Not to find out answers. And and like he was like looked like he was gonna cry. <laughs> it gave me chills and just to see his energy towards it made me feel makes us just feel like something's being done mm-hmm. and he gave us new information and he got you know he gets some help to go through phone call like uh, recorded phone calls at you know at prisons and jails like he gets someone to go to help him with that to go through all of this and there is it's important to note that Wenatchee is a really small town and only one lady has gone missing she went missing back in 2008, I believe. I did a video on her on my channel. But she, there's only two missing people in Wenatchee. <laughs> wow. And that that is a big deal with these cases because it has to do with the experience that the law enforcement in the area has with it, right? Which mm-hmm. isn't always Absolutely. a lot. And that kind of leads me to my question of... You know, what kind of control does a family or maybe just specifically your family, uh, what kind of control have you had with the case and with the law enforcement, the detectives on the case? For example, the kind of a-hole that was the second detective that was just not really vibing with you guys and, um, you know, uh, seemingly inappropriate at times. So what kind of control do you have over those situations? Could you have been stuck with that detective for like ever if he wasn't suspended? Could you, you know, like what kind of control does a family in your situation have? Yeah, I think my mom was trying to get someone else reassigned to it. I think she was really trying. Um, but you you really are just at the mercy of the detective working the case because you can uh, you can bring him stuff all all day long, but he's the one who's got to get the search warrants. Mm-hmm. Get this, get that. And you know that the detective that's working her case now went the first time he talked to us, he said this has sat for 2 years. Wow. The, her case has not been looked at. In two years. So you can only imagine how we how we felt like no one no one even no one it felt like no one even cared to investigate this or to look into it. And so he's like he's voiced to us that he's just playing catch up. He's trying to, you know, and he he's apologized and said, This isn't right. This is not I don't represent this at all, but like I take you know, I can only take so much responsibility and I'm so sorry that this it wasn't handled how it should have been handled. It's got to be so reassuring now that he's on top of it. He cares. He acknowledged the past failure. That's got to be reassuring. And well, and he gives you hope mm-hmm. for, you know, finding answers for your sister. Now that we're coming up at the end of, what is it? The end of June, it'll be five years. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's... And I understand, I'm not, if you're an investigator listening to this or a detective listening to this, it's, the family is, you're never going to have done your job correctly until their missing loved one is found. Right. So I understand that they get a lot of, lot of heat and a lot of pressure. And I'm not saying that at all, but I'm just saying that her, Jesse's case specifically was mishandled and not, maybe not investigated as much as it should have been and taken with the amount of seriousness it should have been. But, oh, oh I want to mention, too, when Jesse had initially gone missing, my mom filed her as a missing person and was talking to police and said, just talking to them or whatever, and they said, well, she probably just overdosed with a bunch of people and they threw her in the river. And my mom's like, what the hell? Like, what information do you have to back that up? And they're like, well, that's just, like, what happens, you know? And, like, that's how her, how this was handled. Right. Just initially. Like, she's dead. Like, they just threw her in the water. I don't know what to tell you, lady. How could anyone say that to a, a grieving mother, first I of don't all? know. Heartless. Right. It's heartless. That's what I call it. And I think it just ignited this fire in my mom. Mm-hmm. Because if, you know, if I'm, you know, who I am, my mom, I, my mom is, 20 times the woman I will ever be as far as being a voice for people and standing up for people. And, um, it ignited something in her, man. Like, and, and I'm really sad to say it is she is, she's just not the same person anymore. And of course who could be, but like, she got too involved in it. Like, you Mm. know, or to the point where you go to her house and it's file cabinets on file cabinets on file cabinets, all of that, like, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I just, you know, a lot of people, I don't want to say judge her, but I always ask them, you know, what would your mom do? Like for you ladies, like if your mom lost you, what extent would she go? Mm -hmm. Like everyone's like, there's no, like a mother's love is, it It has no boundaries. It it has no bounds. It it doesn't. Cause you are nine months closer to your baby than anyone else. That's so true. Yeah, And that's so powerful. And that's a beautiful note to now ask where the case is standing. We kind of understand we've got this third detective and we're feeling really good working with this detective. Um, And of course, there's specifics you cannot mention, but let's talk a little bit about in closing where the case is now. Yeah. So obviously, like we talked about, it's still open. Um, we got some scuba divers coming out this spring to check out two other bodies of water because potentially someone who was involved, um, in Jesse's disappearance had a boat. So that's something to just, you know, Mm -hmm. that we've kept in mind this whole time. Sure. And we live, we, uh, Wenatchee is smack dab, like the Columbia River flows through Wenatchee. So we can't search the river because that's too dangerous. But there are places we, you know, can look. So we have that in the works this spring. And that's going to be a great opportunity just to get her story out there. And we're going to do like a vlog of that. And, all, and you know, s- try not to get our hopes up too much. Um, we have an annual walk for her every year where everyone makes, you know, posters and whatever. And we walk for her and you can speak if you want. And so, you know, if we don't have answers by the five-year mark... Um, We'll definitely be doing that again. But um, yeah, pretty much the detective, he's told us he's just waiting for someone to talk. Someone knows something, obviously. And so that's right. 
and you know we we just want to keep her image in everyone's mind as much as possible because it could where you just need one piece of information one person who saw her that day and um unfortunately she's we there was no cameras that caught her <laughs> i don't i don't know how like the day she went missing i don't know how that is a actual thing but no cameras people weren't willing to go over the camera um footage so it, it could just be one simple thing where we, you know, it could crack the case. Wow. Now, if any of our listeners had any information or wanted to get involved, um, and of course, please plug your YouTube channel. Any any channels for them, including your YouTube, that they can um, get more information on, et cetera, please go ahead, let us know. Yeah, so I'm Brittany Jewell on YouTube, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y, J-E-W-E-L-L. And then I have a special Instagram for Jesse and dedicated to other missing people and murders. And that's Jesse's Disappearance. Awesome. Thanks for sharing everything you've shared today. And thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much, you guys, for giving me the opportunity to come on and share Jesse's story. In closing, I really want to just applaud the strength and courage you had to tell your sister's story and how much I admire what you're doing. Um, keep kicking ass. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. I hope that uh, a lot of people hear your sister's story and share it. So for all our listeners, please help us get boots on the ground, get Jesse's name out there, get her picture out there. Whatever you can do is much appreciated. Yes, and thank you to everyone who has listened and tuned in and just cares to hear Jesse's story. Awesome. We'll end this episode here. Until our next episode, you know where to reach us at the Murder Diaries Pod on Instagram, at the Murder Diaries Pod at gmail.com. And now you can find us at the Murder Diaries Podcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.